Hello, yummy mummies. Welcome to Beyond the Bump, a podcast brought to you by Jade Caldwell and Sophie Pierce. This podcast is targeted at mums, mums to be, and women in general. And gents, feel free to have a listen too. It's a place to have real discussions and ask real questions, no matter how hard, with honest and authentic people. The aim is to have you feeling lighter, more supported, and more understood after every listen. Now, we can't promise that it will always be kept PG, so please be mindful around little ears. Here we go. This episode is part two of our chat with Luca, otherwise known as Boob to Food, about all things infant nutrition. If you haven't listened to part one yet, I would recommend you start there first. In part one, we talked about introducing solids, purees versus baby led weaning, developing good eating habits in your little ones, how much food is enough, what goes into pouches, and how to introduce grains. In today's episode, part two, we talk about how to introduce allergens, tips for parents wanting to raise their child plant-based or vegan, tips for fussy eaters, how to wean off the boob, and much more. We hope you enjoy it as much as we did. Okay, so moving on to allergens, what are the top allergens and how and when should we introduce them? So there are nine top allergens. Uh, eggs, cow's milk, peanuts, tree nuts, shellfish, fish, soy, sesame, and wheat. Great. So, well done. <laughs> Good memory. And when we talk about eggs, is that egg whites or egg yolks or all of, say, all of the above? They say that the allergen is only in the white. Yeah. However, even if you are just eating the yolk, if you are severely allergic to eggs, obviously some of the protein from the white can be on the yolk. So yeah. you can still get an allergic reaction from the yolk, but the yolk itself isn't an allergen. The National Allergy Guidelines recommend that these top allergens be introduced between 4 and 11 months mm-hmm. because we recommend we start solids at 6 months. I say 6 and 11 mm-hmm. months just to make it a bit more clearer. Um, they say 4 because they're aware that some people are still starting at four months. So the idea is that all of the top allergens are introduced by 11 months. Um, however, I still think there's a way you can introduce them by still meeting the guidelines but doing it easier on the digestive tract. So that's why I incorporate them into my guides to introduce them in ways that so that you're not introducing, say, um, something that's hard to digest like wheat straight up. And these are the foods that you should introduce the, the few days apart. So they used to say for three days straight, but now they say recommend uh, they recommend that you introduce them every couple of days, that same allergen and nothing else new in that time. Right. Um, because they're seeing that frequent exposure as well as early exposure is reducing the risk of allergies. So yeah. and once they are okay with it, keeping it frequently in their diet. So don't just if you've tried peanuts and they've been okay, don't not give a peanut again for a year. Yeah. Like try and just be mindful of, you don't have to be like regimented or anything, just be mindful of keeping them in a varied diet. Yeah. Um, so I say eggs is the best thing to start with, but I say to start with the yolk, see how baby goes with the yolk, and then introduce the whites um, around nine months. Yeah. So the eggs eggs are one of my favorite first foods but just the yolk to start yeah because poppy had an intolerance to egg whites yes. until she was about well we tried again at around 14 months yeah but we stupidly gave her 
egg yolk and egg whites when we first gave it to her. So then we were like, oh, crap, is she allergic to the whole thing? or yeah. just? And she was actually completely fine with the yolks, yep. um, but just the egg whites she was yeah. had an allergy to. And they find like a lot of babies have sensitivities to the whites. Mm. Their protein is quite hard to digest and it can come, come up and present like a true allergy, right. but generally – it's a sensitivity right. and once their digestive system is a little bit more mature, they can handle the whites. And so that's why they grow out of it yes. as such. Yes, mm. yeah. yeah. The next one I would do would be peanuts because, again, the earlier exposure the better. So once they're okay with peanuts, then you can introduce tree nuts. Tree nuts, unfortunately, you have to technically introduce every nut separately. Oh, like, and it's of a lot. course. Yeah. Tree nuts are a really broad thing. So like yeah, almonds, cashews, Brazil nuts, pistachio, everything is a different nut. And you can have a allergy just to one of yeah. those nuts. So they're a little bit harder and confusing. Um, but the the recommendation is that you do it individually. And what's your, the best way to give each nut? I like nut butter, but obviously you might have to be rich to buy 400 nut butters. Yeah. So <laughs> the nut butters that you would buy anyway, like that's an easy way of doing it. Um, and then what I do is just mix it down with like a little bit of coconut oil or something so it's not claggy. Could you do it with like walnut bread or banana bread and put walnuts in it or does it need to be a specific? You could if the baby had had all of the other yeah. ingredients in that bread and was fine. Mm. Um, generally... Like it's probably easier just to put a bit of nut butter into like a sweet potato puree yeah. or something where it's just the two ingredients and you know that they've been fine. Mm. Or what you can do if, you know, you can't afford 400 oh. nut butters is just buy some raw nuts and ground them up like with a mortar and pestle and then add that to a puree or a sprinkle on top of finger foods, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. Mm. Um, Sorry, she looked like she was about to vomit all over me and I was like, oh, God, <laughs> we're good. Poo on you again, yeah, so that's how I would introduce nuts. After that, then you can go on to sesame. So that would be like a tahini is an easy way of doing that. So, again, with the nut butter, just making sure it's not too claggy, loosening it up a little bit with water or coconut oil. Um, and then you can, around the eight-month mark, move on to fish. Generally, fish, you're allergic to like all fish if you're allergic to a fish. It's not, you know, just barramundi or something. <laughs> but there are some fish that can cause more intolerances than, than others um, and I'm not sure, I don't know if it's because they're heavier fishes like oilier or mm. but salmon and tuna are actually two of the most allergenic fishes. Right. So try with something else like a, Wide I'm not fish. a good fish person, I need to learn more about fish really. Like try a snapper. With, try with a snapper or something <laughs> and then move on to like the more pinky fishes which I think are the higher allergen fishes. Shellfish are actually a different thing again. So that's yeah, my dad's only allergic to shellfish, yeah. but he's fine with other fish. There's shellfish and there's two different kinds of shellfish, um, so you can introduce them. Then you've got soy. Um, soy, I'm not a huge fan of soy, especially for kids, because it's one of the top genetically modified foods. Yeah. Um, and so it's also really high in salt. So I would recommend a miso or a tempeh which is fermented Mm -hmm. um because that's going to be easy to digest so rather than introducing soy sauce or something edamame beans are good too but they're they're quite hard to get hold of yeah in a lot of places so it's usually easy to find them things and then i you could then around the nine month mark introduce the egg whites and then i would move on to 
wheat, which we already talked about mm. introducing. Um, so pseudo wheat first. Yeah, the pseudo grains, and then moving on to the wheat, like a whole wheat might be good sourdough, spelt that kind of thing, and then cow milk last. Yep. So, but when I say cow dairy cow's milk, I prefer to start again with an easy to digest form. So I tend to introduce ghee first because it doesn't have any milk solids, so generally you won't have any um, reaction to it. So that's yep. clarified butter. Mm-hmm. Then if they're okay with that, um, moving on to butter, because it's so high in fat, it actually um, is easier to be able to tolerate. Mm-hmm. So butter's a really, I love butter. We put that on everything. Then you can move on to things like milk kefir, which is fermented dairy. You can get milk kefir just at Woolworths yeah. and Coles in the fridge, but just check for other bad ingredients in them. But like a plain milk kefir you can get. Greek yogurt. It's another one because there's cultures added, so it's making the dairy easier to digest again. And then so you're kind of working up the dairy chain. Cow's milk would be my last thing, and I would recommend that after 12 months. Yeah, yeah, because I always wondered why you could give other dairies dairy products, yeah. but you had to wait till 12 months, and is that just because there's other things added that... I'm not a huge fan of cow's milk, and we don't actually have much of it in our diet, but... I I love dairy and whole foods of dairy, but the way that we drink cow's milk now is mm. it's been pasteurized through the ultra high heat high heating like yeah. we were talking about mm. the pouches homogenized. It's gone through so much processing to get to the point where it's at that actually a lot of people can't digest it. Even adults can't digest it very mm. well. So it's hard to introduce that to a child. Yeah, when even an adult so can't. And we've actually evolved to be able to digest cow's milk. Yeah. Apparently, a lot of Asians can't so what, digest it. Wow. What um, what milk do you give at twelve months? What would you recommend? Or you do don't? You want well, yeah. Well, so the other thing with cow's milk, why they say twelve months is that it can actually cause iron de- deficiency because it blocks the absorption of iron in the body because it's that's what happens when you pair iron and calcium together. Right. Yeah. So. And they also don't want babies to fill up on cow's milk other than breast milk or formula because it doesn't have the nutrients that breast milk or formula Mm. has. So that's another reason why, like all the food um, departments recommend cow's milk after 12 months. In regards to your question, that's more talking about weaning, hey? I guess my number one question is, yeah, do you introduce cow's milk after 12 months? So the World Health Organization recommends breastfeeding until two years of age. I, I obviously understand not everyone does that, but that's the recommendation, six months to two years. There is a place for milk feeds definitely up until that time. But if your baby was to have weaned earlier than two years but after 12 months, there is no need to replace that milk with another milk because they've weaned. So you don't have to keep on keep giving them giving something instead of having a, a nutritional That's diet. That's what baby-led weaning is. You're weaning off of milk. So we're the only species that then introduces more milk. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't actually make sense when you think of it. However, some families may not have a very nutrient-dense diet and so cow's milk may be a good food for them because they aren't eating enough nutrient-dense foods. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. So I would say kids should wean, babies should wean off of breast milk or formula onto a whole foods 
nutrient dense diet mm. is my answer <laughs> yeah <laughs> very diplomatic <laughs> cow's milk will provide a lot of nutrients that kids need like calcium's a big one that they do need but yeah i would prefer to focus on on natural forms of on just food in general not just replacing the milk and the other thing is I, n- I understand a lot of babies will want some kind of like comfort bottle especially if they were formula fed breastfed generally don't because they haven't ever experienced a bottle so they don't yeah unless we introduce one they don't really know what one is but I do understand that a lot of babies will want one and so in that regard you can give cow's milk if you like um I I prefer goat's milk mm-hmm. it's just easier to digest than cow's milk is so yes Thought of goat's cheese by Meredith Valley and they're all starving. And I'm too. All this talk of food, and I'm like, who cares about the kids? What about us? <laughs> um, <laughs> sorry, back to allergens for a second. Yeah. If you have a family history of, say, anaphylaxis to peanuts, mm-hmm. do you would you recommend? giving it to the baby for the first time, like out the front of an emergency department. <laughs> People do or, it. People are worried. Yeah. My girlfriend did it. She sat, she was so scared of handing him peanut butter for the first time that she did it outside the hospital, which is quite smart actually. Yeah, do you know they no, have, you know they have is... mother's group parties out the front now and they do it, I've been oh, told. Like they'll have I, their mother's group out the front. Can I say <laughs> one issue with that is generally to develop an anaphylaxis. Yes, you fine. have to have... Um, built up an immune response yes. so to that first food. Time. So it's, it's generally, generally subsequent exposures that yeah. lead to anaphylaxis. So stay home the first time, second time, nick down to the hospital. Second and or that's even third know. generally, yeah. which is why they say frequent exposure to mm, the allergen. Yeah. They actually say like if there's a family history that it shouldn't affect how you introduce it. Right. But I would still just talk to your caregiver because obviously there's going to be a little bit of anxiety around it and so you can actually do it at your gp like if you really want to how come babies will hate something one day and then the next day love it and then maybe hate it again is there a reason behind that it's fussy (laughs) just annoying (laughs) just annoying kids i don't think there's a reason behind it it's like when i hate my husband then love my husband (laughs) then hate him the next that's not the next day that's every hour yeah (laughs) it's probably just kids exerting their independence yeah is what they like to do and it gets worse as they get older sorry but i guess the important (laughs) point is the important thing is keep offering yeah keep offering it. yeah they say that um it can take up to 30 exposures of a food for their kid to it accept that food what should you do if you have say an eight month old who's completely disinterested in food by eight months i would go and talk to your gp right yeah they really i don't i don't want to like put any fear or scare anybody but just so that they're aware it doesn't mean necessarily anything's wrong some babies really won't get a good interest into nine months Mm -hmm. but if they're really not interested at all then they, they could be at risk of some nutrient deficiencies, mm-hmm. definitely. So because there's a reason, like we said, that we introduce foods and that's to meet these nutrient requirements that they have. Iron, zinc, the DHA, calcium, choline, vitamin D3, they would be like the main ones that they're needing. Yeah. So, yeah, I'll just chat to them and because sometimes there can be sensory issues happening with the food or something else happening behind the scenes. So... You know, sometimes it might be that they need to speak to a speech pathologist or an occupational therapist, something 
just to be aware. Yeah. I don't want to scare anybody, but just to flag it. You know, if they're eating some foods and playing with it a lot, then that's fine. But it's more if they have like a complete aversion to food that's yeah. not really normal around then, then yeah, I would I would speak to someone. We we had a lot of questions regarding a plant based diet for children. What would be some of your recommendations on that? I've obviously spoke a lot about meat products and eggs, which I believe are really important in a child's diet. However, I do understand the thoughts behind a plant-based and I respect that they generally it's an environmental reason and I definitely think we do need to do something about the environment and the way that we consume meat products. I like to think that I promote a more sustainable approach to meat by making things like bone broth and eating parts of the animal that are usually just discarded like liver brains are another good one but I didn't quite go into that <laughs> luckily <laughs> but and you're and promoting that we eat really well-sourced meat as well is is a big thing like you know grass-fed pasture-raised organic meat and not the you know typical meat that we can find in the supermarket however so I do understand that they have their reasons behind it and I respect that but there are certain nutrients that you need to be really mindful of if you are raising a baby plant-based like I said iron is really important for babies so and you can get iron from plant-based sources but the bioavailability so how much the body actually absorbs of the iron is a lot less compared to heme sources which is an animal product source so there's non-heme and heme it's really funny that you say that because when I was pregnant with Yumi, we moved to a farm and there yeah. were cows everywhere and I was really emotional and I'm like, that's it, I can't eat meat anymore. I didn't eat a lot of it. It was like pretty much maybe one or two days a week. Yeah. But I couldn't do it. And even though I had an iron yeah. infusion, I didn't have enough in me. Mm. I then had a blood transfusion because yeah. it got so bad and what they worked out was there was I was missing a certain iron that they said that I could only find in meat. Yeah. Well, it definitely has its place. <laughs> mm. Yeah, so say like baby rice cereal, they say the bioavailability, the actual iron that you get from that is 3%, whereas like a piece of liver you'll actually get 16%. So that's the difference between like heme and non-heme, how much your body will absorb. So if you are... Focusing on the iron sources for babies, and they can be in things like your beans and legumes. Um, you might introduce beans and legumes and things a bit earlier mm-hmm. to these babies, but I would really recommend that you do the soaking or souring or sprouting of these foods, like we talked about before, even more so for a plant based because there's a thing called phytic acid in these foods, and it's a natural thing and it's sort of to protect the seed from germination it's an anti-nutrient so it blocks the nutrients in the micronutrients in those foods so iron is a micronutrient so if it's full of this phytic acid it just won't make it as easily absorbed by the body so because there's less iron to start with you want to really increase the absorption Mm -hmm. of the iron does that make sense so those foods are really important to soak or sprout. You can also add things like your dark leafy greens, but babies don't tolerate a lot of them and you have to obviously prepare them properly because they're like quite tough and chewy. So, mm. you know, like maybe um, pureeing them and adding them, that kind of thing. Zinc is in those foods as well because iron and zinc generally come hand in hand and 
meat's the easiest way to get the two of them. The other thing that's really important for a plant-based is to get DHA. Only reliable plant-based source of DHA is algae, which oh. you can't actually like eat. I've so, got some in the bottom of my shower. <laughs> <laughs> you have to supplement with marine algae. Yeah, we can get it from fish and sardines and salmon and grass-fed beef. I shouldn't say we, sorry. Someone eating animal yeah. products can get it from there. Plant-based can get ALA from plant-based sources but not DHA, I'm which get- is really important for a baby's brain development. I'm getting a vibe that you're not pro <laughs> that you're not pro plant based. She's trying to. I'm remain trying to be diplomatic. Diplomatic. Okay. She's Switzerland. I know. I'm Look, not. But she's not. I'm, I'm trying to break Switzerland. Look, I don't. I don't make it. I don't make it hidden that I am very pro. But that's okay. That's your opinion. And animal products, and that's my opinion. However, I understand why people wouldn't eat meat, and so I think though that if they're going to make a decision like this, that they should do it properly. And they're highly educated. And that they're educated and that I really think they should not just listen to this podcast, listen to this podcast, yes, but go and Huge. see somebody. Just plug the podcast on the podcast. But also <laughs> go and see somebody. You can listen to what I'm saying and hopefully this is just a catalyst to go and see a, a qualified nutritionist yeah. and get an individualised plan for yeah. your baby because I don't just want to promote supplements online. But just so you're aware of the nutrients they need. The other thing is D3. That's really important. You can get that from safe sun exposure, but they say 50 to 80% of babies are deficient now in vitamin D3. Not in Byron Bay. It's generally (laughs) generally because the mothers are deficient and and because it comes from breast milk. Formula-fed babies are less at risk because it's fortified with D3. And that's not a problem with breast milk. It's a problem with us mothers. We don't get enough of it. And it's weird in Australia to think that, but... You actually do a vitamin D test in pregnancy and most I see a lot of mothers are deficient it's because we're very sunscreen heavy now. I'm not mocking sunscreen, but like I think we probably use it too very much. Sun safe, yeah. We're probably too sun safe. We've gone like too yeah. far. And the other thing is people think that vitamin D you just get from the sun, but you have to actually expose like big body parts to get the vitamin D. So in the winter, even if you're sitting in the sun, generally only like your our hands, hands and yeah. feet or something are in the sun or your face. That's not actually getting enough vitamin D3. You have to have like, like think of a solar panel, like your back out or your legs out or your tummy out. And your tits out. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if your tits have got that kind of surface area, mine don't. <laughs> I actually, if I pick them from the floor, they do. <laughs> I actually recommend, I actually think that every, it's not even me, in America, every baby is supplemented with D vitamin D3 and I still recommend my kids still have it I have it every day I think it's great to have we have it in the form of cod liver oil because it we Uh, have that every day because that has DHA and it has D3 so is it like just a a teaspoon or yeah yeah. well the baby dose it depends what brain you get okay read the back but um (laughs) use only as instructed (laughs) yes that's right (laughs) so again they should supplement with D3 because they're obviously not that it's actually hard to get D3 from food. You can get it from salmon and egg yolk and liver, but it's still not heaps. So, yeah, either the safe sun exposure or supplement. The other thing would be calcium, but you can get good sources of calcium from plant-based, like tahini is really high in calcium. Spirulina is a really good one. And chia seeds, hemp seeds, chickpeas, broccoli, nuts, you can get all that calcium so um you don't just have to get it from dairy sources but dairy sources are the high are really high in calcium and easy to get Mm. but you can 
you don't need to supplement generally with that. And the other thing plant-based you really need to be aware of is B12 and protein, increasing their protein. So they're just some things I would talk to. So basically the moral of the story is you may be plant-based and have a healthy, varied diet, but it's still probably important to speak to a professional and make sure all of these things are getting ticked. Yeah. The other thing we haven't really talked about is adding fermented foods to, to babies' diets and to our diets. That's another like big nutrient that I would see is Sour- important. Sauerkraut is an easy one to do. For babies, you can just start with even the brine of a sauerkraut, like mm-hmm. the, the, water the watery. Yeah. And then for, you know, once for a self-feeder, you might offer them like a really large piece to suck on or you can pulse it up and offer it to them. But there's so many different ways you can ferment mm. foods now, purchase fermented foods. So... I would what is just, a fermented food? Can you explain the process? Well, it depends how you ferment it. They're all different, but it's it's you're building up the colonies of the probiotics in the food. Right. So you can do it by like a salt brine. You could do it with a whey. You can do it with a culture starter. There's all different ways that you can do it. So like yogurt is a is a form of a fermented food mm-hmm. because it's not actually fermented, but it's got the cultures in it. Mm-hmm. So that's like a good way of starting for a lot of people. Kefir is like a fermented milk or you can do coconut kefir or water kefir or juice kefir, like all different ones and they're mm-hmm. with a grain. Um, kombucha, I don't actually like kombucha for kids because it's got caffeine in it, mm. but for adults that's a good one. Sauerkraut is my favourite just because we love it and it's yummy. And you can add it to really anything. anything. My mum my used because she's Dutch, she would mix it in with uh, potato and have oh, yeah, nice. roquefort and sauerkraut. It's delicious. It. We made our own for quite some time and then my parents, we were away and my parents came to stay at my house and they were like, there is some kind of <laughs> fart situation going down in your fridge. They like would avoid opening the fridge as much as they could and we just got used to it. We couldn't even smell it. They were like, there is something dead in your fridge most things in your fridge are dead but there's just something <laughs> going alive. down and that was the only live thing yeah yeah so breast so that's the difference between breast milk and formula is breast milk is alive it's got living organisms in it that's responding to yeah you know any illness or um helping your baby's gut health develop that kind of thing and so then adding the probiotics is going to continue to somehow yeah. mimic that yeah yeah Speaking of formulas, how do you know which formulas are best for your child when if you are choosing to formula feed? Because there's yeah. so many different varieties. Like how do you know? There, There is. And to be honest, there's not any on the market that are like would ever meet a perfect criteria. Yeah. But there are some that are better than others. The things that I would try and really focus on if you can is to firstly purchase an organic one which there aren't a lot of. Avoiding corn syrup as an ingredient, which is a common ingredient in a lot of um, formulas. Avoiding palm oil, if possible. Avoiding a soy-based formula, unless you have been prescribed a soy-based formula, which is only for specific allergies. You may have been prescribed that, but otherwise I would avoid it. In an ideal world, I would avoid preservatives, but I haven't found one that doesn't (laughs) contain it yet. There's a couple that I have found that... You have to order them online generally or buy them in speciality stores. One's called HIP and one's called Whole, um, H-I-P-P or H-O-L-L-E. They are probably the best that I've found ingredients-wise. But if you are formula feeding, then I, I would probably recommend that you supplement the formula with some probiotics. 
a lot of probi- a lot of formulas have probiotics in them, but due to the nature of being shelf stable, they're usually pretty inactive. Yeah. Um, probiotics need to usually be refrigerated. Mm. So again, like the pouches we talked about, the ultra high heating formula's been through the same thing. So would you would you just sprinkle a little bit of that in the formula? Yeah. Uh, just once a day. Once a day. Yeah, whatever the dose of your yeah, yeah, particular yeah. formula mm-hmm. is. Yeah, I would I would add that. So I don't think everyone should be on a probiotic, but for a formula for a baby, yes. Or once they're on solids, just increasing fermented foods. Fermented foods have more strains of probiotics in them than mm-hmm. a specific probiotic. But obviously, like some babies on formula since birth and they're not eating food, mm. so I would add a probiotic to their formula. And the other thing that I would that I would give is a quality DHA omega-3 because that's going to then meet um, a lot of the fat requirements that a baby needs that formula often doesn't contain enough of, enough DHA. And again, vitamin D3, which if you give cod liver oil generally, it doesn't always contain vitamin D, so just be, just have a look if your brand does. But that's another thing, vitamin D3 adding. I have a blog on that if people get confused. It's called mm-hmm. Formula. <laughs> How'd you come up with that name? <laughs> Genius. <laughs> Tips on boosting the immunity of your little one when they're sick and not and they're off food? Look, if they're off food, I would respect that they're off food and not push food personally. If they're just off food for a day or two, then I would respect that. Keep them hydrated mm. is the more important thing. If you're breastfeeding, well, formula feeding also continue, but definitely breastfeeding because that's like I said, it's alive and it's going to help them. There's actually been proven now, there's a thing called the backwash theory where it's been proven when the baby is breastfeeding, the saliva goes into the mammary glands. It identifies the pathogens from the baby and then the mother's body produces antibodies to you know, attribute to the pathogens and then it goes back through the next cycle of the breast milk to the baby to directly help that sickness. it's insane so and that's even we've like that's why skin to skin is so amazing too so we're always picking up our babies like different bacterias Mm. and our body is always responding to them with our breast milk it's quite incredible Mm. but yeah if they are unwell i would i would just say try and write it out and then when they are up to eating give them a chocolate (laughs) avoid sugar (laughs) because that will um exacerbate it um i would start with so interesting that we didn't just interview you i don't know i don't know why yeah i would um give a bone broth yeah yeah, bone broth is um And you can really use that like a soup, like a chicky soup or a yeah. veggie soup. Yeah. And you've got or a even great, a bottle of it. And you've got a yes. good quick and long bone broth recipe on your Oh, what's a quick one? Yes. I love quick. So it just takes about four hours to make, but you make a lot less. Or if you are still a little bit afraid of making bone broth, you could use something like Nutri Organics who have the bone broth powders and then you just literally add a teaspoon to the to the hot water. And then that makes the bone broth and you're still getting all the benefits. Really? Yeah. I even cook sometimes like if I'm doing a pasta or something for Poppy, I'll cook the (laughs) (laughs) Sophie, go to the toilet. That was Goldie just absolutely (laughs) filling her Annihilating her. (laughs) I'll get to that soon. Yeah, sometimes I will just cook her pasta in water with the bone broth in it just just to give it a bit more goodness. Yeah, I add it to everything. And because, like I said earlier, we've been living in a caravan for seven months, 
I haven't been able to make bone broth because you have to leave it on the stovetop for so long. And also, it does stink and I don't want my caravan to stink. So I've been using the Nutri-Organics powder. And, yeah, I just add it to to everything, really. Yeah, that's great. Just add some extra gelatin, collagen. Yeah, it's it's easy, just good. Can your baby or toddler overeat or will they stop when they've had enough? If you're feeding them nutrient-dense foods, then they will stop when they've had enough. They can obviously overeat on like packets of chips and things like that. Yeah. But our, well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <Amen>. <laughs> our bodies are pretty smart and we will stop eating when we're full. Yeah, we're not like a cow. No. Well, that um, is like, not true I, for I, me. I, I, question okay. myself I know we graze, but like you're, you know. We can, we do have the ability to stop. There's obviously like. It's just if you want to override that. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Great. Do you have tips for children that are fussy eaters? Which is 98 (laughs) toddlers. (laughs) And look, I've been pretty lucky my kids aren't fussy. But I do think that is because of how they were fed as little children so if you have little kids there's some preventative things you can do maybe start with Um, them and then we can move on to (laughs) once they've become fussy yeah so um obviously I talked about earlier family meals I think that's the the most important one kids seeing what you're eating not associating them having different food to what you're having like adult meal and kids meal um just everyone eating together you showing what is an example of healthy eating, you enjoying your food, that kind of thing, like that's going to mm. to play a part on them. Um, introducing flavours early like we were talking about before and a varied diet from an early age. They're, they're the, the biggest things that mm. I think. It also comes down to a bit of parenting. I'm always asked this question like if your kid refuses food, do you give them mm. something else? And I honestly I find that really hard to answer because it will come down to how you parent. Like, and, and I think also, and I think also the child's age. Like, I think if the they're age. too young, they're not going to understand, and they're literally no. just going to go hungry. Whereas if they're older and they're just showing defiance, That's right. and they can understand, then maybe you could use the threat. But I yeah. feel like if they're young, they're not going to. They're just going to be hungry. Mm. Yeah. See, I am probably a bit tough, but I have never given a replacement meal in my life. Yeah. Ever. My like, feet don't like it. That's too bad. Yeah. However, in saying that, I don't give things I know they're going to hate. Like I'm not yeah. gonna. Like it will always. If I'm introducing a new food, I will pair it with like some safe foods that I know they like. Yeah. Right. Do you know what I mean? Like I wouldn't just give them like, I wouldn't give my four year old just, I don't know, a sardine and nothing else, and be like, yeah. well, if you don't eat that, that's it. You know, like, yeah. <laughs> and he likes them, but do you know what I mean? Like yeah, yeah. Um, you pair it with, you know, I know he likes um, tomatoes and avocado and p- yeah. sweet potato and, you know, like I would give him that and sardine on the side. Yeah. And if he doesn't eat that sardine, that's fine. Like, yeah. And I never make them eat something if they don't like it, but they have to try it. Mm. And do you give dessert? Sometimes. Yeah. But it's not like a reward. No. So, so they don't have to finish their meal to no. get the dessert. And I never make them finish the meal. However, if they don't finish the meal, they're not getting anything else. I've and I don't mean like, you know, if they 
just leave a bit because they don't want it. I mean, like if they're being like defiant mm. and just like not eating it for the sake of it, I'm not going to give them dessert. Yeah. Um, however, if they have eaten their meal and they're still hungry and want something, then yeah, but yeah. our dessert is pretty healthy. Like yeah, it's yeah. Not- My middle child, really, she is the worst eater. She eats like if she could, she'd eat just crap all the time. Not that I have I'm crap sure in every my house, kid would but, do that. If they could. Um, <laughs> she, she's really painful. So we'll all be eating the same meal. Yumi's a good eater, me is a good eater, I'm a really good eater, so is my husband. Billy is like, actually, I'm not really hungry. Can I have some wheat bix And I'm like, no, you eat that or nothing at all. Do actually. you find it's just dinner? Yeah. Yeah, so what I would do, because generally, like, they're getting tired to that point and, like, you know, the attitude likes to come out around them, <laughs> so... What I would do is focus on really nutrient-dense foods in the day mm-hmm. and then ah. it doesn't matter as much at night. Smoothies. Smoothies, yep. like bulk them up. Yep. Smoothies are the, my favourite way of getting nutrients she into loves kids because they have no idea. You just put some cacao in it as a chocolate smoothie. Like, yeah. You know, and you can add like MCT oil to it, like avocado to it, which makes it creamy. Like you mm. can really bulk it yeah. up and make it like, you know, if, if you did feel like she was, you know, if – I should say if you really feel like your kid is lacking, see a nutritionist. But otherwise, if she's like otherwise healthy and meeting mm, milestones yeah. and everything, you know, you mm. could even add some protein powder or something like things yeah. like that that are going to really fill her. And oh. then dinner won't be as huge of a deal. Yeah, know, it's just that's another good. meal. Yeah. That's what I would recommend. Um, the other thing I find with fussy dinner eaters is that they're either eating too late. Yes. And they're too tired and too hungry and, and too they've gone past it. Tea. Or too much afternoon tea. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't Feed do afternoon tea, home. but I don't have school kids. So for me, this but is so different. Some people feed them when they get home from school their dinner. So yes. your soup's ready. You that's feed right. them that, then you can have what you want after that's it. That's right. Because then that's, I that's guess because they often option. come home from school and just want it And they're hungry. The and I remember too. doing that when I was oh, in yeah. school. And, like, you know, if they're getting home at, like, 3.30, then, yeah, you could give them, like, a smoothie or something. Like, I would still really focus on high fat. Yeah. That's my – high fat will keep them fuller for longer and, and their blood sugar is more stable, which will then provide more stable emotions. Mm. Or even, like, you know, some veggie and fruit sticks, but pair them with, like, nut butter. Yeah. You know, not just mm. the fruit, which is probably just going to give them. I'm not mm. anti-fruit. I'm not saying that. Pair them with some protein, which is going to keep them fuller for longer. And Billy's yeah. a little sugar head. Like even if it is in a fruit, she yeah. goes from yay to bloody nay, <laughs> and it's just extreme. And then she has a meltdown. Yeah. So we have to be mindful of what we actually put in her mouth because yeah. otherwise we reap. Yeah. Yeah, or even like I don't know healthy muffins or anything you know you can smoothies are the best because they're easy and quick yeah and it's actually something she loves so that's good yeah so that's you know for older kids the other thing with our older kids to decrease fussiness i would say is um getting them involved with the meal Mm -hmm. like even letting them choose what they want for dinner and you know or helping them come do the shopping Mm -hmm. with you helping to pick their ingredients getting them involved in the kitchen as painstaking as it is Mm -hmm. but you know, just give them, like, a job. Like I might say to my son, you can grate the cheese. You know, he loves it and he takes pride in grating the cheese and he tells everyone he's grated the cheese. I'm like, you know. He's cooked dinner. Yeah, <laughs> he did it all. Um, or, or set the table or, like, some give them some yeah. kind of ownership because that way they will want to do it more. And the other thing that I really like for older kids is, like, make your own meals, like burritos yeah. or 
you know, something where... Oh, where I'm so hungry. Sorry. I want a burrito. <laughs> oh, I'll just whip one up for you, doll. Thanks, darling. It's recipes. You got a baking burrito. <laughs> My <laughs> I film recipes. I do not cook it. <laughs> so, like, you know, putting all the food on the table where they can have their independence to grab the foods that they want and they probably will still grab all the food but it's because it's been on their terms that's a great idea so that that would be my tips yeah, and that's tricks great. yeah that's awesome. however i don't have fussy kids so yeah. i'm talking quite it's easy to say no but i i have i have a very right. fussy nephew Mm. And I like practice my tips and tricks on him, <laughs> and then I can usually get him to eat what I want. <laughs> They're always the hardest with their own mum, though. Oh yeah. Um, and how come some kids that are good eaters suddenly at two 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 o'clock, two years old, will become fussy? Is that just? I think it's just that age. It's the age of independence and testing the boundaries. And so, and so I think that's where you need firm. to be firm. Yeah. Yeah. And then, again, it will come down to parenting. Mm. But I think that's when you have to put down your ground and be like, no, like this is how it is and, you know, if you refuse this, this is what happens. Mm. And yeah. last one, any tips for high chair refusal? Uh, firstly, I'd look at what kind of high chair you have. Generally, they recommend one with a footrest, especially mm-hmm. if you have um, a fussy baby. Yeah. Why? I do not have one with a footrest because I bought the cheap Ikea option. However, they recommend that. Why do they recommend that? For balance. Aww. They say that if, you know, and it's the same with us if we're oh, on a stool. there's nothing worse when you're on a stool and, and you feel like you're just like an Yeah, so they say that they should have a footrest to, I guess, more plant them solidly in the chair. Yeah. So if I was to buy a high chair again, then yes, I would purchase a footrest one. I actually did a poll a little while ago. And they said Stokey or Mocha. I've got two. a Stokey. It's brilliant. Yeah. They said so Stokey wants to sponsor me. That'd be nice. Well, they actually, you can get that. They have one, and they're not sponsoring us. Which I'm just <laughs> genuinely telling you that they have a like it, it's an all in one. So yeah. from newborn all the, the way track. till it's. Yeah. So and then when they want to help you cook, it can turn into like a little stand thing. And yeah. it's awesome. I have a yeah. stand, a learning tower yep. for Poppy, and it's so good. Yeah. It means that instead of you, cooking you know, because it's, it's so yeah. She yeah, I'm still in bed. Um, <laughs> I can smell my eggs scrambling. <laughs> no, it's good because you know when they're crying at your ankles and you're trying to explain to them, I'm making something up here, but they can't yeah. see. Yeah. You can't hold them. I feel like she understands more if I let her stand up on there and watch. Or help. and she's yeah. not on a stool or a bench where there's knives. She's yeah, exactly. No, she's back, just on it yeah. in a tower that she can just reach for the knife. But yes, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> cut it up herself. Yeah, no, they're amazing. And again, they're great for fussy eaters. But yeah, with the high chair thing, I would, I wouldn't let the kid ever take the food away from the high yeah. chair and eat it. Like you have to sort of associate that the high chair is where you get your food, and don't um don't take that food away and yeah. eat it because then they will just keep wanting to get out. Um, another thing would be like sitting with them while they're at the high chair, not just plonking them down and then you leaving because mm-hmm. they probably will want to get out and follow yeah. you. And you should be watching your baby when they eat for choking risk. (laughs) And the other thing, I just wouldn't stress too much. Like if they really don't want to go in the high chair, like just put them on the floor on a mat. Like, I don't know. It doesn't have to be a high chair. Don't worry too much about it. You do you. Do what you can. That's fine. Like if that's causing 
stress like my daughter hates a high chair and I actually she actually sits on a chair with one of them booster things yeah she's a little bit older now but that that could be another option for you some babies just like to feel more a part of the table rather than away yeah Yeah. awesome well thank you so much for coming in (laughs) thank you (laughs) goldie would like you to shut up now (laughs) get out of her room she's trying to sleep I'll wait for my lunch, thanks. Yes. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Beyond the Bump. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe and give us a review. If you didn't, good on you. You can also follow us on Instagram at beyondthebump.podcast to stay up to date on behind the scenes and future episodes. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.